calling all up-and-coming broadcast talent. Here's your chance to make a name for yourself overnight. Compete against others in SiriusXM's MLB Fan Call of the Month contest. Visit SiriusXM.com slash MLB Fan Call and make your voice heard before the contest closes on September 10th at 10 a.m. Eastern. It's closing soon. Get in there now. One winner, as judged by the SiriusXM programming team, will have their play-by-play call air on SiriusXM MLB Radio and advance to compete in the final Fan Call of the Year contest for a grand prize that includes a trip for two to attend the 2021 MLB All-Star Game in Truist Park in Atlanta, plus a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to call a half-inning of the SiriusXM All-Star Futures Game live on SiriusXM MLB Radio. Go to SiriusXM.com slash MLB Fan Call for a full set of contest rules, prizing details, and more. Get in there, people. This is an awesome contest. All right, let's start the countdown. Five, four, three, two, one, zero, ignition, liftoff. Hey everybody, I'm Brian Clapp, VP of Content and Engaged Learning for WorkInSports.com, and this is the Work in Sports Podcast. Buenos Aires, the Paris of the South, known for its architecture, cuisine, shopping, history, entertainment, beaches, it is one of the top travel destinations in the world. But in the 1970s, Buenos Aires was in the midst of the Dirty War, a period when Argentina's military dictatorship turned against its own people. Quick trip down history lane. It was 1976 when the Argentine military overthrew the government of Isabel Perón, the widow of populist president Juan Perón. It was a political coup called Operation Condor, and it was sponsored and supported by the United States. The military took power by force and turned against Argentina's citizens, taking away political dissidents and people it suspected of being aligned with leftist, socialist, or social justice causes, and incarcerating, torturing, and disappearing an estimated 30,000 people. Still to this day, every Thursday, the mothers and grandmothers of the 30,000 unaccounted for victims of the dirty war, gather in one of Argentina's most famous public squares, the Plaza de Mayo, wearing white scarves and holding signs covered with their names. Why am I bringing all this up? Why the trip down Argentinian history? Today's guest is one of the most famous sports broadcasters in the world, Andres Cantor, known around the globe for his legendary play-by-play call when a goal is scored in soccer. I can't do it, nor will I try. But as soon as I say that, you know who I'm talking about. To really understand a person, you have to know where they came from. When I was given the opportunity to interview Andres, a man I have long admired for his artful, entertaining work in soccer and the Olympics and as a leader in the Spanish-speaking community, I wanted to understand the man behind the call, not just the call itself. Andres grew up in Argentina, in Buenos Aires specifically, during the Dirty War, when the military took to the streets and people he knew disappeared. His family fled the country and came to America, where he had to completely restart his life. I strongly believe we are all formed by our early years, at least partially. 
They become our foundation for what we believe is true, valued, and important. Our early experiences shape the way we see the world. Now you put yourself in Andres' shoes. War-torn country, on his doorstep, in his vision every single day. Fleeing that country, the country of your birth, starting over, new people, new language, new culture, new everything. He had every reason to make excuses, to blame the world for its injustices, to crumble in the face of the challenges ahead of him. But he didn't. He became a legend. This year, Andres celebrated his 20th year at Telemundo, and I had the honor of interviewing him on his illustrious career. One note before we get started. Five minutes before we started this interview, Andres' phone started blowing up because Lionel Messi announced he wanted to leave Barcelona. He has since retracted that desire. But in that moment, getting breaking news like this as we started, I was pretty worried he'd be distracted. But he was not, because he's a true pro. Here is Andres Cantor. It is an absolute honor to have on one of the most iconic sports broadcasters of the last generation in Andres Cantor. Thank you, Andres, for coming on the Work in Sports podcast. Thank you, Brian. It's my pleasure to be on. Um, it's uh, great to talk to you. How are you? I'm doing really well. Uh, you've become a globally recognized sports broadcaster, and a lot of that is started out with your iconic call for you know, a, a goal-scoring event in soccer. That's how a lot of people got to know you. But I want to get back to your origination story a little bit first, how you built your brand to what it is today. Um, where did your passion for sports originate? How did you get into this and figure out that th this was something that was going to be your career? Well, basically, as I grew up in Argentina as a teenager, back way back then in my days, everyone grew up loving soccer. Even though there were other sports that, you know, kids played and, and watched, really soccer was the most popular sport. We all wanted to be a, a professional soccer player. We all wanted to, you know, play at some type of level. Uh, we didn't have organized high school soccer like we do here in the U.S. We just played in our clubs, social clubs, during the weekends. We played in, in the breaks in school. We played after school. And that is how I, I got to love the game as every other kid, I would say, without fear of, of, of making a mistake in the you know, mid-60s, early 70s. I would say eight out of 10 Argentinian kids played and loved soccer. So that, that was really my passion from a very uh, early, uh, early age. And then um, I knew, Brian, that I wanted to be a journalist. I guess my inclination started to, to be a journalist started very early because when I went to watch my beloved soccer team with my dad to the stadium, I came back home. And I started writing stories about the game. So I, I thought, you know, there was something in me that, that there was a calling that I wanted to be a journalist. Uh, having said this, I, I, I loved to write, you know, in my adolescent years and in my college years. Uh, I, I never thought I was going to end up doing either TV or radio. I mean, I went to school and prepared myself to be a written journalist. I wanted to write for the LA Times, for the, uh, I don't know, for, for whomever. Uh, obviously, I started writing 
uh, and working as a correspondent for a very well-known publishing company that is, existed back then in Argentina. It still exists now, but it published the most popular magazines of, of that time. And I was uh, a written correspondent covering everything from the few football soccer matches that we had in L.A. when I moved to L.A., um, then everything Vegas. I mean, uh, you know, all the boxing fights, um, the Oscars, uh, the, I mean, you name it, I covered it. Uh, it was kind of funny that I ended up many years later calling games on, on TV and, and radio. See, that's fascinating to me that you started out with a focus towards written journalism. Your voice is amazing. Like you just have a natural tone to you that is so engaging. Is it almost like this part, this sector called out to you? Like you became a sports broadcaster? Was this what you were meant for all along? Um, It's funny you say that because uh, growing up, I thought my voice was always very hoarse that I wasn't either for radio nor TV. Really, I, I never entertained the, the, the idea of doing TV or radio. I, I believe that the day that I thought I'd like to have a crack at radio or, or TV is when I saw, I remember, I mean, vividly, and this is a true story. I covered, like I said, many boxing matches in Las Vegas. And of course, uh, I had to take down notes um, and, uh, you know, remember after the fact to write my piece, you know, if in the second round, you know, Brian, uh, the best punch was, Brian's best punch was a, a left hook at what minute of the round. And I had a nightmare in this one fight, I remember. And while I was going back to the press center, I remember seeing the biggest Argentinian duo uh, on TV, something like uh, it would be Howard Cosell or, or Marv Albert with somebody else. I remember the fight was over. They were doing their stand-up saying, and, you know, Brian beat whomever by knockout yeah. in the seventh round. Uh, it was a pleasure, you know, bringing you the fight from uh, ringside in Las Vegas. Good night, Argentina. See you next time. And, you know, they got unhooked from their IFBs and, and then – you know, they left the arena. And there I was, like, typing away and thinking, oh, my God, when is, was it the seventh round? Was it the sixth round? And I said, no, 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 no. That, that's, that's my calling there. I mean, I like to call it as I see it. Now that I mentioned Howard Gosell. Um, I, I like to call it as I see it and, and period. I don't want the stress of thinking of, of writing uh, after the fact. So that... I mean, that is really the, the one time I, I thought about doing TV or, or, or radio, but it had nothing to do with the voice. That's a that's a an epic story. That's a, a life-changing kind of moment to see it from a different perspective. I want to go back a little bit because I'm a, I'm a strong believer that our foundation kind of as youth kind of form at least a little bit of who we are later in life. You grew up in Argentina in a, in a pretty difficult time. I mean, from 1976 to 1983 was a time of great unrest there during the Dirty War. You were in Buenos Aires. That's kind of the heart of where that action was happening. What do you remember from that time? And did that kind of form your perspective on things moving forward in life? 
Well, I was I was very young, and um, I believe in in one year. I was uh, in Argentina. This was 1976, I believe. I I have uh, six or seven encounters in the span of six months with bombings of of places of things. And I was very nearby. I mean, I, I heard the explosion and, you know, I ran away. And uh, obviously I was, you know, too young to understand exactly what was going on, but definitely, you know, was a wide uh, opening, eye-opening experience. Um, it did, you know, teach me a lot of lessons in, in life, you know, now that, you know, I mean, after when when you, you i started growing up and, and and understanding the reality of the world i could relate differently i mean not this is not something that nobody wants to go through but once you go through these type of, type of traumatic traumatic events and and political unrest um and you see it from afar uh and you you can relate better when you know, you know that there's something going on in, in a different country. It is very hard, I believe, for someone who is totally not attached to that country and, you know, lives in the comfort of the the American way, American life, um, to understand perhaps the conflicts of, of other cultures when you haven't been uh, near uh you know situations like they can go through so it was definitely very very rough um and uh, something that obviously taught me the, the the value of life for sure yeah your family emigrated immigrated to the united states when you were in 15 in 1979 is that right um i was 14 we my dad who is a physician um had a a scholarship to go to UC Davis in Sacramento. Uh, I stayed there for eight months, and then I went back to Argentina for a year. I couldn't adapt. Uh, I didn't speak the language, so I went back and stayed until 1977. Then my parents moved to to L.A., and then I, I moved with them in 1977, I believe, yes. Okay. So how hard was that? You kind of alluded to it just there. How hard was that to adapt to an entire new culture and way of life that was completely different from your native Argentina? It was very, very rough. Very, very rough in the sense that, first of all, the, you know, my, the, the language barrier was uh, key. Uh, way back then, nobody spoke Spanish. In Sacramento, nobody spoke Spanish. Um, it's incredible that I say this in 2020, where I believe probably 40% of the population in Sacramento is Hispanic nowadays. But way back then, I said, uh, you know, they asked me, where are you from in, in Sacramento? I said, Argentina. And the few people that could relate, uh, they said, oh, Rio de Janeiro. And I was like, mm, not quite, mm, wrong country. <laughs> um, it was uh, very, very rough. Um, you know, I I got pulled away from from my friends, from my family, from all of the things I you know a teenage does at thirteen, fourteen. 
you know, from my soccer, from my club. Uh, it was really, really tough. But then, you know, when we settled in L.A., I figured that, you know, I was going to stay here. I didn't know for how long, to be honest. But um, obviously, I knew I had to settle and, and start thinking about living permanently here. So you attended USC, you got your degree in journalism, you started on that written journalism career, and then you pivoted to the to the broadcast side. I'm fascinated by how this began. I was reading that Spanish International Network, which began in 1962, a long time ago, the first television network in the U.S. to broadcast in a language other than English. By 1987, they began to tra- transition to Univision, and they invited you in for an audition. What were you prepared for on that day, and, and what actually happened? I'm going to tell you what I was prepared to, to wear two different jackets, two different shirts, and two different ties. That was all the uh, instructions I received. They said, you know, we're thinking about uh, hiring somebody that knows soccer, that was recommended by, by somebody. Um, and they told me, bring two sports jackets, two shirts, and two ties for the edition. Okay. So I did. <laughs> I got to the studio and I asked, uh, so what's going on? And they said, well, we're going to ta- tape two soccer games that are going to air one the following weekend and the next one the following, the, the next weekend. And I said, what do you mean? I mean, my, my audition is on air? Well, it's live to tape. Okay, well, whatever. You know, I was 20, <laughs> 23, uh, so I had no, no stage fright, I guess. So I put on my jacket, and I did color commentary the first game. Yeah. And then we took a break for lunch, and the person that hired me said, says to me, you know, we are short a play-by-play announcer. Uh, we just fired, we are in transition, we fired our la- latest play-by-play announcer. Do you think you can do play-by-play in the second game that we're going to take? Uh, you know, I could tell he, and then he tells me, I could tell that, you know, you know a lot about football, by your commentary, blah, 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 soccer. And I said, sure, why not? I had never done it before in my life, obviously. I had the ring of, of listening to, you know, so many games back home in, in the radio, mostly. And, you know, I started doing the, you know, the play-by-play on the second game. And uh, I guess, you know, to use a, a very colloquial term, the rest is history. I got hired, I believe, within a week and became the main play-by-play announcer for SIN, which became Univision, which then, you know, broadcasted uh, all the World Cups until we did in 2018 in Telemundo. So you had never done play-by-play before. You show up with your multiple jackets, shirts, and ties. You're ready to go for anything. And your signature call actually came out of that moment, right? Was that during that first audition? Yes, and, and as I always say, I, you know, I, I, I get very much recognized for my work thus uh, by my goal call, which is not something that I invented. It's something that most Latin American 
especially radio announcers nowadays, more TV announcers as well, call the goals the same way I do. So I just happen to help popularize a way that Latin American announcers have um, of yelling goal. Uh, so I just, even though I had never done play by play before, you know, I had listened to enough uh, radio broadcasts or TV broadcasts to, you know, know how it was done. And it came out the way it came out. And, uh, you know, throughout the years, it, it has had some variations, you know, depending on the importance of the goal, the moment it happens, mm-hmm. who scores on whom, uh, the amount of air I have in my lungs, <laughs> how, how tired I am, uh, different things. But, uh, yeah, my first goal was probably a shorter goal than I called today, but it was a, a goal called nonetheless. You are so well known for that call, and I think it's great that you are so humble in, in deflecting to other Latin broadcasters who have used a similar call. But I also feel like there's a lot of young sports broadcasters that are searching for their signature call, right? They're trying to come up with their thing that puts their stamp into the sports broadcasting world. Do you think that that's smart for a young person to try to seek that out? Or is that something they should just let happen organically as they get into the rhythm of a game or an event? Um, you know, the let me explain better. The, the goal call comes out naturally because that's the way we feel and that's the way the style of, of broadcasting in Latin America and Hispanic uh, uh, speaking countries. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say that, you know, if you look too hard for a, for a gimmick, um, quote unquote, uh, you will not do good. Um, you know, I have coined many phrases uh, that are part of, of my vocabulary when I'm on air that are very well recognized with the fans as well. And never in one game or for one game did I prepare, oh, today I'm going to say this. It just happened. Uh, it just happened. And, you know, I said them and... If I like them, I repeated it. And if it works, it works. And if not, you know, I'll just move on to something else. For example, uh, I will loosely translate, you know, a very common phrase that I have when somebody misses an open goal, which is goals that never come back. Let's say, you know, you're 0-0 and a striker with an open goal misses the goal. I will say goals that never come back that, you know, was whomever just missed. That I don't yeah. know how that came out, honestly. That just came out. And I, I like the ring. I like the, the meaning. Um, it was well accepted. And like that, I have different other, you know, phrases that have survived, you know, the, the, the years that make sense, that now are part of my... Uh, broadcasting DNA, if you will, um, that just made sense and came out organically and naturally because of something that happened, not not something that I thought about overnight, uh, thinking, if this happens, I'm going to say this. 
because mm-hmm. I think then you're thinking too much, too hard, and uh, it, it, it won't help you, I, I believe. No, I agree. At a time when you see a lot of people in sports broadcasting, changing networks, jumping around, going from place to place, you've be- been a fixture at Telemundo. You celebrated your 20th year this spring. Yes. Yes. What does that mean to you to be at one place for so long and to really start to establish yourself as a part of that culture? Well, first of all, it's, it's, it's a great honor that you know, I'm I, I'm with what I call my extended family for two decades. When I moved, uh, you know, I was at Univision for 15 years, and uh, at Telemundo now with uh, for 20. And more than uh, obviously the the networks per se. Obviously, I'm, I'm eternally grateful to to Telemundo. Uh, you know, for these last 20 years. I am just very grateful to be in the position that I am where I get to be the main play-by-play um, announcer on any major uh, network, regardless of language. I mean, in the last 35 years, I've called every single World Cup, I've called Olympics, I've called the greatest sporting events. So I am you know, as much grateful as I am um, to Telemundo for the last 20 years. I hope it's another 20. No, not really that. We <laughs> can do the math. No, maybe. <laughs> um, no, I'm just grateful and I pinch myself uh, every day because um, I know that I have been privileged to do what I love, to, to work in the field that I love, which is my passion, and to be able to be part of history, witness to to the most historic events in in the sporting world. We'll finish up with this because I know you have a busy day ahead, and I really appreciate all the time you're giving us. 2020 has been a very unique year. Uh, the sports industry has changed dramatically this year due to the global pandemic. Uh, for you as a broadcaster and witnessing the games as they exist now, I know that Telemundo has brought Liga MX into the fold this year and you've been expanding your focus in that regard, which must be a great honor. Uh, but in regards to that, for you doing your job and for the, the lack of fans in the stands, how much does that impact the overall quality of play? Do you find that the athletes themselves are missing having the fans out there and that extra energy? Is it harder for you as a broadcaster to kind of capture that spirit and energy? How are you persevering through all of this? I think what um, affected the level of play is the fact that most soccer teams in Europe and throughout the world, uh, some are, are even not having, they haven't trained yet. But in Europe, before the the major leagues resumed, they haven't the, the players didn't do anything for more than a hundred days, and even though they did, you know, a kind of shortened preseason to restart the remainder of the leagues, you know, it showed the first couple of weeks. It showed that you know they were kind of in preseason form. You know, the ball the ball bounced around their the feet of the players way too much, and and so. Uh, and so forth. So I, I think that affected the level of play. Now, every, everything that I've, I've heard through interviews and I've read through interviews on, on written media 
uh, about the players is that yes, of course, they're lacking, you know, the, the stimulus stimulus um, of of the fans for good and for bad, um, and yet you know talk about miss, missing open goals. Um, you know, Manchester City played a quarterfinal match against Lyon, and one of the best players in the world, Raheem Sterling, had a sitter in the 89th minute, open but open, open goal. That you know, in in another instance, you could attribute that oh to fan pressure. They were booing him all all game long. He was playing away to a hostile crowd. No, there was nobody. There was you know the sound of silence and him, and he just missed it. So. I don't think that has nothing to do with with the fact that you know it's just the pressure of of the game itself and and not the fact that there are or no fans and and for me it was um you know i I, I like to see the the glass half full I have taken um I have given my producers the 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 or the or not the order it doesn't sound right I, I've told my producers, my preference, you know how every sport, the NBA and, and everybody has fake fans and fake fan noise. I said, no, I want to listen to the clean feed. I want to listen as much as I can of what the players and coaches are saying in the pitch, because this is something that we will never be able to replicate again when, uh, when we have fans in the stands, because, you know, the, the fans obviously take over and, I mean, all you hear is the, the crowd noise. So I, I've been having a blast at listening to, uh, you know, what the players and coaches say to each other, the good and the bad. I mean, it's it, it's also <laughs> so relatable to, you know, when when we play, oh, look at this. This guy makes $100 million. And he just said the same thing I would tell, you know, my buddy at the park on, on Saturday. <laughs> so I, uh, so true. I, I love uh, you know that that angle, but obviously it's been tough because you know we also feed of the of the crowd uh, noise. Andres, thank you so much for coming on the show today. This is great advice. I know our audience will love all this insight into your life and just little tips and tricks about making it this far in sports broadcasting. You're an absolute icon. Uh, hearing your voice on this show is is really a thrill for me. Congratulations on 20 years at Telemundo and uh, 20 more I'd wish you, but I'm sure at some point you're going to want to retire and sit on the beach somewhere. <laughs> thank you so much, Brian. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you to Andres for coming on the show. It's always an honor to interview someone of his stature. And we will continue to keep getting guests like this and just even more and better if you continue to rate and review and subscribe to this podcast and share with friends. We want to continue growing and you guys are all essential in doing that. Thank you so much for listening. Please, everyone, wear your mask. Be safe out there, socially distance, and plan on voting. It's the most important thing you can do. And thank you for listening. 